once I started getting to, to build those relationships with the guys out on the floor, that's when I really got the passion for, for manufacturing. And I just wanted to help people on the floor discover better ways to do their job, make it easier so they go home at the end of the day, their families, and also try to eliminate, the, the place I worked at had a lot of overtime, so I was trying to reduce the amount of overtime that was there because they wanted to go home and spend time with their families. And, All right, welcome everybody to Equality Podcast Season 2, Episode 2. We are happy to have with us today Jason Haynes. Jason is a lean consultant with Industrial Solutions, LLC. Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you're up to these days? So I'm, I'm Jason Haynes, as uh, John had, had just introduced me and everything. I, uh, I grew up in manufacturing always loved the processes and everything. And that's really how I got involved in lean management or, or process improvement. And then just that whole whole area of, of trying to figure out how to help the employees out. I A lot of it was because I grew up, I started on the floor uh, the, the, and that's where I really got my passion at as for, as for growing up in the manufacturing. My, my granddad, my dad and all of them always told me not to go into manufacturing. And I ended up in the, in the world anyway. And once I started getting to, to build those relationships with the guys out on the floor, that's when I really got the passion for, for manufacturing. And I just wanted to help people on the floor discover better ways to do their job, make it easier so they go home at the end of the day to their families, and also try to eliminate the, the place I worked at had a lot of overtime. So I was trying to reduce the amount of overtime that was there because they wanted to go home and spend time with their families. And and enjoy life outside of the manufacturing field. And that's really how I got into process improvement and lean and, and all the, the, the ideas of how to save time, but be more efficient, do more with, with in less amount of time. Awesome. Well, we're really happy to have you with us today. And we are going to talk a little bit today about working on your processes to start your journey, um, eliminating chaos, you know, teaching your future leaders and ambassadors. Really what we talk about the, you know, getting the lean culture started. Um, so tell us a little bit more about that. So really the, the biggest thing I always hear people talk about is that they, it always starts with leadership. And yeah, it, it's very important that leadership is involved, but I, I, I look at it as far as not being involved as far as they have to be rah-rah. I feel like they need to get involved more as far as going out to what we, we always call the Gemba, going out to where the work's done. And really, not just to go out to see how it's done, but also to start talking to the employees. Don't have that stigma, because a lot of times the guys out on the floor, the people out on the floor, think they can't talk to the managers. And you have to build that relationship and start getting that repertoire with your employees out there. And once you start building that relationship, you can start getting to talk to them about your ideas and what you're trying to do and, and how you're trying to help them. And they won't be as... Uh, they won't stick their feet in the, in the ground and then just be like the, the horse that doesn't want to go anywhere the, or the donkey that doesn't want to go anywhere. They, they'll be more apt to help you if, they, if you built those relationships. And I, I believe that's really where you're trying to start at as far as building the relationships. And then you work towards start to improve the processes so you can start to get, uh, get those future leaders and ambassadors built through that whole process. And that's where I really like to start at is when I go in and do a training or anything, the first thing I like to do is start to uh, talk to those guys that they're the people that I'm training in a training and get to know them and understand them and where they're worked at and what their passions are and, and act, not act like I'm interested, but actually be interested in what they do. Because a lot of times it, I am interested in what they're trying to do and everything. It's, it's, it's fun to get to learn the different processes of what makes people passionate about their work. Yeah, well, you know, that brings to mind a, a couple of thoughts on my part. Uh, one is this seems to be a recurring theme. Um, I think Karen mentioned it and Paul mentioned it. Um, it. You know, the part of lean that is sometimes has been missing in the past is the relationality and the psychology. Um, and it's probably the most important part. Um, and the, the other thing that came to mind was the um, book by um, 
gosh, what was what was that guy's name? Um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. You remember that book from a while back? Yeah. Then you just asked me, and I'm blanking too, and I actually probably Carnegie. Yeah. Dale Dale Carnegie. Yeah. Yeah. Dale Carnegie. that was, you know, I think the 40s or something, and his name lives on in the Carnegie Institute that, you know, trains people in sort of public speaking and leadership type of stuff. But in that yeah. book, um, he talks about being genuinely interested in others, you know, take a genuine interest in others. Um, now, of course, because it's a mechanical book, like a do this thing, any sociopath can use that, right? Um, feign yeah. Yeah. genuine interest. Um, but it, but here we are 60, 80 years later from when he wrote the book, and it's just as true. If you're actually interested in people, you can build a relationship with most people. Uh, and it, it's a prerequisite towards influence, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's where I, like I said, that's what my biggest thing is when I was the line lead at the, the uh, steel mill that I was working at. Was- Just going out and getting to know the people, seeing what they were, what they needed, what they needed help with, just trying to find different ways to, to possibly improve their jobs. Even though as far as improving their jobs, some of the stuff I might've been hamstrung in the position I was in, but I also was able to get to know those people, get to know their machines. So if they needed a hand with stuff, it, it made it a lot easier. Where other, and I'm not just talking about upper management. I'm also talking about the frontline leaders that are, that should be there, learning that and uh, getting to know their employees. There would be other uh, people in the same position that wouldn't be out there helping their people and understanding those jobs and building those relationships. And and a lot of times, I always say it. It's it's like they're taking advantage of the people. That they get a position. And it does pay well, but they forget that kind of the kind of like when we talked about politics or their representatives in order to uh, represent people, they're there to build those relationships and they're to help those people out. So well, uh, the, we do have a common mistake that I think John and I have gone back and forth on several times where we just tend to promote the best worker and not the best leader. So yes. then what you get up with is the guy's only qualifications was he was better than you at some point on X or Y task. Yeah. And you propagate that further and further up your leadership line. It's like, that's not what we needed at all to make this work. No, no. That's, and a lot of times it, it's, we promote the best worker, but we forget that, yeah, there was the best worker, but we didn't train them to be a leader. We, we just said, okay, they get 500 widgets out and everybody else is getting 40 widgets. And we said, okay, they're the best. Well, then that person gets in that position and the people that are getting 40 widgets don't know how to get to that 500. And you took away the person that's getting the, the 500. Basically, you took the best player on the team and put him in a position that has his hands tied. And, and that's, yeah, that definitely, Jake, that's, I've seen it many times where they put the best person that works and they don't know anything about the leadership part of, of things. And I think that's where you you should start building those relationships so you are talking even to that best person and and trying to train them in other areas besides just being the best worker. Yeah, yeah I've that's... never worked in a place that had a robust leadership program. John, no. how about your Well, I mean, that's my story. You know, I was promoted from an operator to a, a team lead just because I was the best operator. I had the highest numbers. And you know how I got those numbers? By being really self-centered and focusing on my shit. Um, And so I got promoted for that. And guess what? I brought that same attitude uh, to my leadership role. And thankfully I had, you know, some people in that organization that took an interest and uh, kind of moved me around to the right mentor, um, you know, that could, could work on that with me. But yeah, uh, very common um, mistake. Can I call it a mistake? Yeah. And, and it, I, I've been in, reading the uh, Robert uh, K. Greenleaf, I think, I believe his book, and he talks about that. And it, it wasn't going on, it just didn't happen today. It's been going on throughout the years where we've always promoted the best worker, usually the person that gets things done. He talks about two different types of uh, 
of leaders in there, the ones that get stuff done and then the ones that are, are analytical. He calls them something different, but, but I think of more analytical where they get stuff done, but they think about it as they're, they're through the process. He, he basically in the book talks about how you want to put both of them in charge, but they're working together in consortium because you, you don't always want the firefighter, as we say in, in manufacturing, being in charge. And you don't always want the analytical person being in charge because the analytical person's not always going to get everything done when you need it to be done. And there's some stuff that needs to be done now. And the firefighters usually going to do stuff right away to the point where it's getting done fast, but it may not always be right. And then that's where usually when I, I go in and talk to people about uh, lean or process improvement, usually we're trying to eliminate waste, as you guys know. And when you're trying to eliminate that waste, usually the firefighter is the one that put all that waste in there and just put a, a, an extra check or balance into the process. Well, the person that come along five, six years since that was added to the, for the process thinks it's a normal thing. So they don't know that they can eliminate it. And it just, it's, it's a snowball effect. It's like you said, it's, a, it's, it's been a mistake over the years where we throw the, the best worker in there. And a lot of times they don't know how to lead and they're trying to get their numbers and they don't have the uh, people around them that they're helping them get to that point. Yeah. And I'll take a, I'll take a psychologist over an engineer any day. Yeah. Yeah. The, the point of this is not to be like, especially as a leader, it's not to just solve a bunch of problems. It's to increase and expand the tool belt of the people actually doing it so that yeah. they can solve problems in perpetuity. Yeah. And I, I think that's where a lot of people, they, they get into, like I say, using the tools of lean manufacturing or process improvement over the leadership part, like you were saying, Jake, they, they, they forget that those tools are there to help, just like a carpenter with a hammer. It's there to help the, the carpenter. It's not going to do the job for them. It, it's uh, more of trying the tools. I always say it this way. The tools are there to manage the process so you can lead the people and teach them how to lead is, is really the way I look at it. Is it it's it's your tool, it's like you were saying, Jake, it's your tool belt. I mean, it's, it's the, you use the tools in order to manage the process so you can teach your people. Yeah, there's not, there's nothing I love more than uh, using a tool in a new way and just watching the lean Puritans I have on my LinkedIn. <gasps> yeah, I know. Uh, I, it's like, uh, I actually made a post that, that, that just recently in the, Somebody's like, well, it's about the, the the culture and everything, and I'm like, I understand that, but like 5S, I I got a the, the client that wants 5S put into place for safety, and, and that's what they want it for. It's not they don't want the rest of the lean stuff because they're they're uh, they have a good culture. They just need more of a safety culture because the in the warehouse that I was in with them, it was a mess. I mean it. it the, they're a good company. They just needed something to get it more organized in, in order to be more efficient and, and let less uh, apt to get hurt and go at home at the end of the day. So yeah, sometimes you do just use the tools to put into place and the company has a, a decent culture there. An experience that I had, um, the organization had a problem with promoting people from within who lacked leadership skill. And I was talking to senior management and I explained, would you hire your best auto mechanic to do open heart surgery on you? Because it's a different skill set mm -hmm. uh, just because you're a great mechanic. And his response was interesting because it told me a lot about the culture. And his response was, well, if we don't have a leader who's done the job and knows how to do it and make their numbers, then how are they going to keep people from bullshitting? So that told me they had a culture where management expected the employees to essentially uh, lie to leadership and, and cover up and that sort of thing. Um, and they were promoting operators into leadership positions as almost like a policeman, right? To make sure you're working um, and so on and so forth. And I, I I don't know what your thoughts on that are, Jake, but that, yeah, you don't want a policeman. Trust me on that one. And you've seen that. We've seen that as well. Not just the the best worker, but you, you promote the policeman, 
and you run the place based off of fear, then people are just going to stay busy and, and, and not really productive. They, they don't care because they think if you stay busy, you're not going to get yelled at. If you stay busy, the, the uh, manager's not going to come and say anything to you. And usually, you don't, not usually, you don't want that. It's just like Demi always said, drive fear out of the, out of the workplace. The, the, and to me, that's the number one leading uh, factor to a lot of things. People fear that they're, if they're not doing anything, that they're going to get fired. They're going to, well, not just fired, the people around, the people around them know that the manager, in order to keep them off their butt, they start, uh, start uh, saying stuff about that employee, saying that employee's not doing anything. So the manager goes after that employee because they fear that the manager comes after them. So it's, it, you want to really drive fear out of the workplace. And I know Deming was using it more based off of uh, like uh, quotas and stuff like that. But I also think he was talking in a roundabout way of driving it fear out as far as you don't always have to be active in order to be productive. Yeah, confusing motion with productivity, right? Yeah. Totally not the same thing. Um, and I appreciate it when I walk around a plant and I've, I've managed a, quite a few um, and an idle employee picks up a broom, I appreciate the respect that they're showing. Mm -hmm. I get it, right? But yep. at the same time, it's a little annoying because yep. I know that, that them picking up the broom is not a value added activity. The process is still not producing more. Um, and I need my leaders in the building uncovering why are you waiting that's this waste right mm -hmm. you standing here is waiting and the truth is that can only happen in a psychologically safe environment driving out fear like you've talked about um i've worked in a couple of uh, world-class companies i mean internationally known you'd know the name i'm not gonna you know say it yeah. um where management would walk around and say things like, well, Johnny can get 100 pieces per hour. You made 68 last hour. What's wrong with you? You know, you need to go work with him, figure out what he's doing right. Yeah. And so and of trying to figure out how to make the process fit them as well. Right. Exactly. It's it's just the old, you know, scold people and try to shame them into producing more instead of focusing on what's hindering the process from flowing and embracing your teammates, right? So I don't use the term employees, but your teammates, empowering them and working with them to make their job easier. And yeah. sometimes that's a challenge. I've worked with a couple of clients where the culture is very, I'll just say masculine, and there's almost this pride in how hard we work, right? Yeah. Well, um, I, I can appreciate that. I, I understand where that's coming from. Um, but we don't get compensated for sweat, right? So how can we make it easier on ourselves? You know, we don't have to, it's almost a hazing thing. Like, let's see who's tough enough to join our company. You know, as I walk to school uphill both ways in the snow, barefoot, you know. I, where I come from, that, that, that sounds familiar. Like I said, uh, I, I in come, Arizona? Um, no, I'm actually, well, the, the, the accent comes from uh, Southeast Ohio, uh, okay. middle of nowhere in Ohio. I, I, uh, I grew up, was born and raised there, country boy. And I actually was talking about this in a recent uh, uh, paper I just wrote that on uh, LinkedIn that I just put on there about busyness. And back in the day, it was always, uh, like you were saying, John, it's always a badge of honor because you're doing more, staying busy. It doesn't matter what you're doing. And you're always talking bad about the person that's probably just as busy as you, but you see him kind of loafing, loafing off for just a second. And you say, oh, that guy over there is lazy. Or that person over there is lazy. And you're like, it's, it's, and it's not just at work. It's, it's even when you go outside of work, you go outside of work and where I came from, if, if somebody uh, wasn't doing something like helping out at a party and everybody goes to usually goes to like a, a, a family get together or a cookout or something like that to enjoy themselves but people will still be there saying well so-and-so didn't do something to help out so they're just lazy and it's like well you came here to enjoy yourself why what does it matter so yeah i, I, I fully understand that and that's usually 
I think where the fear comes in, like you were saying, is a lot of times it's because you're afraid, not just your manager, but your peers are going to say something. And I, to be perfectly honest with you, I just read this today in the book I was telling you about earlier uh, the, by Robert Greenleaf, as far as the, he talked about systemic neglect, as far as the, one of his managers taught him how to put everything that he needed to get done in order. And he didn't care. Everybody, like people would complain about him not doing enough. He would, if somebody came to him and said something about getting the job done, he would do just enough to, to get it back to him. But he had his priorities set in, in line. But at the end of the day, they also praised him because he was the one getting most, most of the stuff done, like from beginning to end. And I, I had to learn that myself in the, the position I would the position I was in before I became a consultant and everything was just going and learning how to get stuff done so I could get my job done so I could be able to help other people out. And that's really what I, I liked about continuous improvement and, and the whole process improvement was just working on yourself. And I'm not saying self-love. I'm talking about working on yourself, your job getting it in order before you can help others because if your job's not in order you're not able to go out and help other people and, and I, I fully believe that it's 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 not easy for you to go out and help others if you don't have your 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 uh, ducks in a row yeah i love a that brief, a brief message from our sponsor this today's podcast is unofficially sponsored by new gatorade new gatorade keep it in you <laughs> We don't need people to, to sweat unnecessarily. If we can make the job easier, we should do that. Yes. Uh, well, and so what we're talking about is culture. We're talking about culture between peers. We're talking about culture of management. And it affects trust, which affects the ability to sustain improvement and continuously improve. And so for me, as I work with companies and have over the years, one of the big challenges that we have to work through is the establishment of trust and the physical things that we do in the workplace and as managers sort of determines that outcome. Yeah. So an example from a very large manufacturer that I was working for, we had a process with quite a bit of waiting built in. And the employees would make up stuff to do while they were waiting because for years there had been a culture of just berating employees. You know, what are you doing standing around for? I'm not paying you to warm that piece of pavement up. And I, I just racked my brains. How am I going to get around this? Because I actually want to know. I want you to self-report. I want you to come. And I had told the employees this. And they didn't believe me, but I wanted them to come tell me, I don't have any work to do because I was collecting the data, right? Yeah. So what I did was I actually made a circle on the floor, a big 10 foot circle. It was kind of in the middle of the equidistant from the different work areas. And I told the employees, when you are not doing one of the steps on your standard work, when you have to wait to do the next step, I want you to go stand in the circle and do nothing celebrate because this is probably the only time I'll ever pay you to do nothing. That's what I want you to do. And, you know, it was, it, I presented it in a humorous way, you know, and the team was able to buy in because it was a, a group effort because I had created a physical space where everybody was going to be doing the same thing. They were willing to participate. Whereas when I had asked individuals to sort of self-report, everyone was waiting for like the first guy to go because they didn't want to be the tattletale or the lazy one or whatever culture had taught them that was going to be. Yeah, I had a, a very similar CI event around battery changes. So forklift comes up, parks, employee gets out, battery changer guy comes and changes the, the battery and the forklift employee returns to work. The site was averaging like in the mid twenties for minutes to get from the battery chain. And when they kept studying the actual process, it only took the maintenance worker like three minutes to change the battery and get the thing going. But the average cycle time for battery change was around 20 minutes. 
So studying the process, they found it was very easy for employees to drop off their forklift, go sit in the break room till it's ready. Drop off their forklift, go to the restroom until it was ready or whatever other substitute, whatever you may have. So instead of that, they just put a physical corral right by there. Because if you're not on the forklift, you're in that corral. That's where you need to be. And sure enough, that one human physical change, uh, like battery changes are now like a three minute process there. They get in, sit in the corral, it gets changed, they get out, they go. And, uh, that's fascinating that you also accomplish that, John, with humor, which, you know, near and dear to me being the funniest lean guy on LinkedIn. I think there's a lot more like hidden within that. I haven't found somebody that just doesn't immediately relate to something I put out there, whether it's about like the turds in leadership or, you know, just how humanity naturally behaves or process defects. Like, if I can get you to laugh first, I can generally get you thinking about the idea I'm steering you toward. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I never thought about the what you guys are talking about as far as putting something there to, to get it to, to get it to go a little bit faster. Right? I mean, I wish I had it because there was a, a, a facility I was working at. It was always an argument over the the forklift, and it was always. The person would come get it, and you guys have probably been through the same situation. The person would come get the forklift and take it to their area, get done with it, and park it right beside them. And then the, the, they have two or three forklifts in the place, and the person that needed it would have to walk all the way back to the other area, get the forklift, would take it back to their area, get done with the park where the, the, they, they left it at. And it was just a, a roundabout argument between the whole group of them of basically arguing over who needed the forklift. And, and it was just... It was fun to watch, don't get me wrong, but it was, it, it, I just never thought about, you know, possibly parking it and then parking the person there as well, or, or, you know, setting them off to the side because a lot of times you're, like you said, sometimes they, you're worried about them getting upset and thinking they're going to be the tattletale and not going to be uh, part of that process, so... Yeah, I've got a great terrible version of that as well, where the site made the bland, the bland direction, 24 hour facility employees working 12 hour shifts. And they made the bland direction that we're going to have dedicated forklifts. Like forklift 13 is your forklift and nobody else's. And you better not get on anyone else's in this thinly veiled crappy attempt to have no leadership in this building whatsoever. And then they immediately scheduled some mandatory overtime that put two people with the same forklift on the same shift. So they inherently started and there's like almost a knife fight right outside of the break room. Like, it's my forklift. I'm on 13 and I can't go anywhere. And like you know, two guys are killing each other. And our leadership was, well, yep, we need to fire one of them for being violent. And at just a moment of reflection, I'm like, you do realize we caused those outcomes. Like, yeah. we put the rules in place that got that terrible outcome. It's just like the uh, the trash cans that got the label on it for the, uh, say, the mugs department, and it's over in the blankets department instead of the mugs department, and they're arguing over it. And eventually they get to the point that it says, you, you're an outsider, and you look at it and it says, well, it says mugs department. And they're like, yeah, it's been over here since such and such time because we lost ours, and it's probably in another department. And nobody, they, like you said, Jake, they get to arguing over it, and then they just get tired of arguing and say, heck with it, we'll just take their, their trash can. Yeah, the processes that we put into place as leaders directly affect how people behave, you know, and the outcomes that, uh, we get. I've found, you know, looping back to the humor thing, um, what I've found is as a leader, first of all, if you can't laugh at yourself, then you don't need to be a leader. Um, in my mind, the days of the, you know, very serious person are long gone. Nobody expects that or really relates to it anymore. Uh, we have a much more egalitarian society than we did in 1910 or whatever. Um, but also, people appreciate that. If, if as a leader, you know, I'll, I'll make fun of myself all the time as a leader, and it just gives everybody else permission to make fun of themselves and realize, yeah, we're all human, and we do stupid stuff, and we screw up sometimes, but we can move forward, right? We don't have to worry about the, this cloud of social judgment hanging over us, and Interestingly enough, these types of um, 
psychological issues, in my experience, are one of the biggest hindrances to lean implementation and continuous improvement. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think people take, well, one, they take themselves too seriously. Two, they, they want to be the best. Like we was talking earlier about having, being the best operator. They want to, they want to if uh, Johnny hit uh, 500, I want to hit 550 widgets. And they want to be the best continuously. And lean is more about the, the whole total team. And I'm not a Patriots fan. And I won't lie to you. I'm probably the biggest Patriots hater. But if there's a, 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 a sports team out there that has a system, that doesn't really have it set up to where you have uh, the the lead star all the time. That's probably the best system to go after and, and take a look at. Uh, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, so that's the, the area that I kind of they, – they used to be that team, but they're not now as much. But, yes, the, the, if there's a team that, that doesn't put the, a lot of competition and doesn't – I'm not saying Bill Belichick doesn't, but I don't think a lot of their team takes themselves seriously. I mean, they did have Gronk and – and Edelman and people like that that were very laughed at themselves and, and had their fun, but they they had a system and they worked in that system and they didn't really try to be the best on the team. They knew that the team was the better than they were. So it's I think a lot of people want to be the best, and a lot of times they forget that the team and the company and the organization is also there as well. And yes, they may be the best today, but if they're not the best, not there tomorrow, then somebody's got to pick up that slack. Yeah, I like the analogy. Um, often I found success in moving organizations from having an individual uh, contribution um, model to a team success model. So it's not who can load the most trailers, it's which shift loaded the most trailers. So now, well, I got to help this guy out. I got to help my teammate out. And we're going to overall improve. Um, and the, the larger you can expand the group people feel themselves to be included in, uh, the closer you are to kind of your goals as a business. It's an odd, to me, it's an, it's an odd mixture where team sport is a great analogy for how you want people to work together, you know, in the workplace. But then over here, you're not actually competing against anyone else. You're competing against yourself. So in some ways, the entire organization is like a power lifter. Like you're, you're not actually in competition with the other power lifters. You're in competition with yourself. Um, you know, or like same thing with a golfer. You're not actually in competition with them. You're trying to do the best that you can do as a individual or in this case, a group. But at the same time, it's a team effort. Um, so there's not like a really direct correlation um, to sport. And of course, in, in athletics, you know, it's a finite game, right? You have fixed rules and fixed number of people and, you know, a scoreboard and rules, whereas business is, is not, right? Business is an infinite game and the rules change all the time and the number of people and who's on the roster and who's not. Um, but I like those analogies and and i don't know it just seems odd to me that we have it, you know special forces and we have you know the nfl and all of this that have spent decades and decades learning how to lead high performing teams and then we get into the business world and it just disappears yeah and I'm like I'm wondering also like you're talking about then I was talking about the the sports teams. Um, a lot of times those people don't go into the. I mean, there's the rarities of the Jocko Willicks that that go into the, the the everyday world, but a lot of times them guys don't trickle down into like into manufacturing or into leading a business or, or anything because sports teams. A lot of them guys made their money and and knew how to uh, some not all of them, some of them knew how to invest it. Uh, and the uh, Navy SEALs usually, uh, the, a lot of uh, special forces, a lot of times see them going into speaking engagements and stuff like that. So they don't really go into the whole uh, outside world. I'm wondering if a lot of times if it, like, if it just doesn't just start 
we don't train people within our college ranks and stuff to be leaders. Even through school, you're not really being taught to be a leader. You're being taught. None of those skills. Yeah, you're not getting the, the skills to, to be taught. We're going to lose you in less than one minute and just click in and rejoin. Okay. I was, I was going to ask about that. I seen that up there. I was, it's I'm, a I'm, I'm a cheapskate. I'm not paying the upgrade. So. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Jason. Um, I have seen some specialized courses in leadership. Uh, I took a class in my MBA on leadership. Ironically, there was a single course on it, um, you know, in a two-year kind of expensive degree. Um, but you're right, it's just largely absent. Mm-hmm. And, and then... It, the... Cause like I said, I, I started on the floor and I seen the attitudes of, of a lot of the older guys when a brand new college, college grad come in, got an engineering job or, or some job in supervision or something like that. And they, the, the attitude is just, you might as well just start a war basically because they, the, the college grad is trying, he's trying his best or she's trying her best. And they, they, don't have uh, enough training in that position and it just turns into a, a bigger a bigger mess and the two groups start arguing because won't lie to you my dad was worked in manufacturing and I remember him always complaining about some bosses and it's like they just don't know anything and I'm like they do know stuff that it's just you won't a lot of times you don't give them a chance and a lot of times the those those new supervisors just fresh out of college aren't trained in to go out and build relationships first and they're being told from their their higher ups that you gotta do this this and this and and they're trying to to please them and and a lot of times i think they lose the whole instead of going out building the relationships going to the gamba talking to those people they lose the there are people at the front line and then the people at the front line just dig in, won't do anything for them, won't help them out because they're too busy trying to please their, their upper management instead of trying to please the people underneath of them. And usually uh, a lot of times, most of the time, the person that ends up pleasing the people underneath of them is the one that gets promoted along the way, as long as they don't get an attitude as well. I've seen that happen too. It's very interesting that the common tactic in the manufacturing and logistics space is fresh college grads do apply for them to be the frontline leader for people that have done it for X amount of years. Like, I don't get what the, the business like value proposition is there. What are they looking to gain from like putting an accounting major in charge of people who work on that line? Like it's almost, is there an inferiority complex around the people that actually do that work that leads companies to do that? I, I don't quite understand. And I don't understand it either, to be to be honest with you. It's, like I said, I just, uh, I, I've met so many people out on the front line that have talents. And that's that's really another reason I went into continuous improvement and lean is because I, I knew they had talents, but they didn't have time to use those talents a lot of times. So I was trying to find ways to free up their time so they could go do training or go uh, go help in the maintenance department, go somewhere that, that they could utilize those talents in order to be, be become better and also get in front of the right people that could see that, that they didn't have to go and always hire, like you said, Jake, hire from the college ranks. Because I, I'm just like you, that's the way they, they I've always seen it. It's always been, um, hire from the college ranks in order to put in charge of frontline uh, people. And a lot of times the frontline people get a new manager. They dig, they dig in and they, they don't uh, really help that person out in the long run. Now, sometimes that person gets promoted. Sometimes they don't. Um, but as the person that usually is in charge, you're going to be frustrated just as well as the people at the front line, because it's, it's not easy to work in that environment. It, it's stressful in that type of environment yeah and not to not to be prejudiced against the recent college grads i mean you do you i'm not judging you for that but it's a problem of community so what happens yeah. is they bring in folks that like even their whole background is totally unrelated to what all these people experience in the day to day and they never connect as human beings and yeah. that's really why there's no buy-in to change anything 
you connect yeah. as a human being, it's quite easy for us to discuss what direction we want to go. And if we don't, you don't. Dude, yeah, exactly. And that that's a lot of times I don't think, like I've said before, they don't try to build those relationships to get the buy-in. They, they want to force feed you instead of uh, how to how, uh, persuade you. They're, they're not trying to persuade you. They're trying to coerce or, or manipulate you in order to get their agenda across. It's uh, it's it's a bad way to go as far as having that. You want your employees to be part of the process. And, and a lot of, uh, and you guys have probably seen this as well, a lot of times you'll see the company that they say they, they're valuing the people, but their actions are saying they're not. And that that is even makes it even worse because it's not just making it worse on the company currently. It's also the next manager that comes in or the next leader that comes in has to deal with that problem because a lot of the times you have to do a lot of legwork as a new manager in order to clear up and get the, the communication and help the old people understand you're you're actually trying to help them. And yeah. a lot of times it's that, that back end that hurts. Yeah, John's got a fantastic article. I've fanboyed about it more than once about uh, how to make some quick wins in the operation. And step one is, guess what? Come to terms with where you are, how you got here. Yes. Like that's, yep. the, that's the number one. Yeah, I've stepped into that cow pie once or twice, Jason. Um, and of course, the uh, hiring organization is never completely honest. <laughs> you know. So Typically, yeah. why are you hiring for this position? Oh well, the the previous manager has moved on to greener pastures. No, what he did was he stormed into your office and punched you in the face and left. You know? The guillotine. And, and times, I don't know. He just went on with his own life. <laughs> and a lot of times you're you're naive to it because you're just sitting there. You're, just, you're like, I I really want this job. I want this job. So when they say it, you're just like, Oh yeah, that's that's great. Whatever okay. you say. They yeah. must have just went on to another job. And you're like, you get in there and like you said, you got punched in the, you might've punched them in the face, but when you get there, you get punched in the face. You're like, this isn't yeah. what you guys were talking about. I'm, I'm self-deprecating enough to know, like if you're hiring me, something's intrinsically wrong with you. And that's probably <laughs> what is like driving this whole place to shit. So yeah. thank you for having me. It's actually a new interview tactic, right? So, guys, what is so broken that you're interviewing me? Tell me. <laughs> that, that's my first question. They have any questions for me, and I'm just like, good God, how much of a failure are you that you thought I would be a good interview? <laughs> yeah, that'd be that, that'd be something I would say nowadays. It used to be, I'd get, it used to be, I, as far as interviewing, I was always nervous for an interview. I, I, I hated talking about myself. So it was one of those things where it was like, I can't stand interviews. But but nowadays I would probably do that. I'd be like, well, so why are you trying to interview me? I mean, there had to have been somebody with a better qualification list here. Yeah, I, I think I'm gonna walk into the next one with a cape on. Like there's this long <laughs> belief that I'm gonna bring in the right leader and everything's gonna be perfect and transform. Like nobody, like life doesn't work that way. It just does not. <laughs> You know, to think about that, Jake, is the, the, a lot of times they also, a lot of people, I feel like even in the management, they bring somebody in and they think they're going to solve their problems in a night. And you're like, no, it's going to take a little bit longer than a night. And then two years later, the, they're getting another new manager. And it's usually because they fired them because, well, they didn't take care of our problems in one night. And you're like, well, you, you need it. It's going to be a little bit more in depth than just one night. Have you never been married before? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. You don't solve any of those problems ever, and it's a lifetime of struggle. Yeah. Well, I like to remind folks because you know the the uh, leader as Ubermensch, right? That you were talking about, Jake. It's a it's a huge problem. It's definitely going away, especially among younger folks. You know the the emergence of egalitarian cooperative organizations is improving. But a lot of legacy cultures, um, older businesses, they still have this leader as Ubermensch mentality. And for me personally, I don't really like leadership or the idea of a leader. Um, it's sort of a necessary evil. Uh, but if you think about it, if, if you're serious about lean, if you ever get where you're going to, you won't have a leader. 
because if you ever get to maybe not perfect, but pretty close to perfect lean, you'll have processes that work and you'll have people that work the processes and they're not going to need a leader, right? Yeah. Any sufficient so, levels of autonomous maintenance. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. So if a company is looking to fix their problem by hiring the right leader, that already tells you right off the bat, they're not lean, at least not on the inside. They might think yeah. they are, and they have some charts and graphs and 5Ss and some tools, but they don't understand what they're actually trying to do. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, thinking about that, I, I know I, I spoke to talk to my brother-in-law yesterday, and we was talking about governmental things and how the government used to be set up as far as our, our first starting off and where our, our uh, senators and our president and all that was representatives. And really, I, it got me thinking when he was saying it, I'm like, in a sense, uh, lean and continuous improvement and leadership in those uh, in those uh, fields are really actually representing the people that they, they lead as far as that goes, because you're you're there to listen to them you're there to mentor them you're there to teach them you're there to coach them through processes and help them understand how to, to sit, figure out problems so you're really there to represent the people uh, I, I don't know if you guys read the Toyota engagement equation by uh, the I can't remember their names I, I, Ernie and I can't remember her name uh, Tracy Richardson talk, yeah yeah Tracy Richardson they talk about it really and there were they're they're uh, their managers or their leaders were actually interested in them succeeding. And their, the manager, their, their, their leader's success was based off of their success as well. So it was basically like you're a representative and you're there to guide and coach and mentor and teach these people because you want somebody to fill the next position throughout that process in order to be better through that process because you, you don't want to have somebody. Go ahead, Jake. You have mentioned a lot of books during this one hour, but there's one I got to plug. You left a fantastic review on my book, Chasing Excellence. So first off, thank you. If you'd like to elocute, uh, eloquate how stupid that book was, uh, let me give you a couple of minutes to do so. And really, your book is really what got me started on, uh, on thinking about different ways as far as trying to have a process to teach people. And, and go through the whole process of uh, just having tools that help you out as well as leading the people through the process. Now, I'm not going to lie, Jake, I do, your, your title does, I'm blanking on the title. I remember the book fully. Chasing Excellence. Chasing Excellence. I should have known that because I, I usually try to use the, uh, the Vince Lombardi quote and I always screw it up too about you're your, uh, trying to chase excellence and you're never going to re reach excellence, but you, you're going to try or perfection. Like I said, I always screw that quote up. Um, but he is talking about that. And that's a lot of what your book is ta talking about is trying to chase excellence. You're not always going to get there, but this is at least a guideline to get to that process. So. Yeah. Thank and, you very and much. I like, and I like the way you set it up because it was more of a step process where a lot of books are, they bounce around. So, so sometimes it's hard to follow the books. Yeah, I appreciated the pragmatic nature of the book. You know, it wasn't just an abstract philosophical thesis. It, yeah. it had some real tools. And then, you know, that uh, checklist at the end was pretty cool. And I've used that a couple of times. Like, dude, just go through the steps. Did this work? Did this work? Did this work? Okay, this one works. Yeah. Stop. You're good. Start on the next one you know, remove that barrier. Um, so yeah, appreciate that uh, feedback, Jason. Um, a lot of what we've talked about today has been culture and leadership and um, the, the ethos, the atmosphere that companies have. And I think one of the challenges that I've had to deal with in my consulting career and also as an employee leader, if you're doing lean right, and I would just say good operations management right, you should be trying to work yourself out of a job. Yep. yep. But leaders are too scared to do that because they work for the kind of culture they absolutely will work you right out of that job. Great. Cost reduction. <laughs> Thanks for that. Yeah. Um, 
right? So, you know, it's, it's um, for me, it's a little challenging because I work with so many good people that are in mid-level management. And the truth is they're never actually going to be that successful because the mm-hmm. company has a toxic or just crappy environment and senior management. And until the board of directors gets it, uh, they're just not going to have a chance to shine. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's with not just board of directors, but the, the uh, investment companies, a lot of times, those are companies I usually don't like working with because they're usually all about just one thing, the bottom line. And, and, and they don't really, they, they want the, 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 how, I don't know how to say it, but they want the, they want the tools basically. They don't really want anything else. They, they just want to see the bottom line go up and that's it. Like you said, it's hard because really what you're trying to do as a consultant or with as a continuous improvement uh, leader, you're trying to help people grow and, and be better in their jobs. And uh, if you get into, like you said, a, the company that has uh, more about the bottom line, if they see that you can eliminate that person and, and they will, I mean, that, that's really what they're trying to do. And it, it, it is uh, a, a fine, fine line to, to kind of balance and everything. So. Well, Jason, hard to believe that we're already coming up on an hour, but uh, yeah. great uh, conversation. Time flies when you're having fun. We really appreciate you joining a quality podcast today. Is there any final word of wisdom or advice that you have for our audience? Um, going off of, the, like Jake said, I, I've probably plugged about 30 books in here, it feels like. Uh, one is... One is read. I wish I had known that when I was younger. When I was younger, like I said, I come from the middle of the BFE, uh, and and there you had to be a tough guy. You always had to be busy. You always had to be working. So reading was reading was a, a foo foo thing. So you you was uh, you was considered not a, a man back then. Uh, not not that I'm joking about, or not that I'm downgrading the people from my area, but that, that that's just how he was. We just didn't read. Uh, but yeah, one is read and then two is just find plenty of mentor, mentors and, and find plenty of people out there that are, are willing to help or are willing to uh, give their time and also give others others your time as well to just teach and grow them. Jason, that's a great word. Thank you so much for joining us. For everybody out there in YouTube land, thanks for joining. Bye now. Quality podcast. That's a wrap. Bum, bum, chicka, bum, chicka, bum, chicka, bum, chicka.